What's going on, fellow Summit Chasers, and welcome to this episode of the Summit Chasers podcast. I am very happy to introduce this guest, Mr. Scott Aaron. Scott Aaron is a keynote speaker, a published author. He runs multiple businesses, and he has ran multiple businesses. And me and him actually have a fairly similar background in the health and fitness industry from a business standpoint. And we talked about a lot how that is an amazing foundation when you're pivoting into any other type of sales in particular. Having to sell in the health and fitness industry and then moving into selling anything else, it's, a, it's an amazing foundation. But we break that down in the episode. We also talk about how to brand yourself, how to pivot your brand, and also how to, when you're co-founding with someone who you're married to, how that communication should play out, some of the tools that they've used to improve their communication, so a lot, a lot of great stuff. We talk a lot about personal development as well. So this is an amazing episode. I'm really excited for you all to hear it. I'll put all of the links for Scott down below. He has a workshop coming up in January, at the end of January, um, on LinkedIn, about LinkedIn. So I'll let that link do all the explana uh, explaining there. But go check him out. Highly recommend him on all platforms. But sit back, get your notepads out, enjoy the episode, and I'll see you in the next one. Really thankful for you uh, coming on, Scott. I um. You probably saw I was snooping on you a little bit yesterday, a little bit more. Um, uh, your website, the dynamic duo um, with your with your wife, uh, the time to grow. Is that am I on? Yep. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Our, that's our other company. Yeah, yeah. It's it's and kind of where you and just from in our first conversation, like we you shared quite a bit with kind of your your upbringing and how you got to where you are and to see where you got right now is really really cool because that, that that perspective is lost because we see highlight reels most of the time unless we scroll really really far. And even sometimes people hide it, right? Um, yeah. But to see, to have heard where you started and then to kind of see where you are, it's, it was inspiring to me. Um, and I love Thank a you. lot of the stuff that you're doing and I'm excited to kind of dive into it. Um, but Scott, I guess let's just start out. Just tell everybody a little bit about your background and your story and kind of up until now, how did you get there? Yeah, so it's uh, more of a, a long-winded story, but I'll, I'll kind of give you the uh, Cliff yeah. Notes version just for uh, time constraints. I... Uh, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. Uh, I, I jokingly tell people I've been psychologically unemployable since day one. I've never uh, worked for anyone. I've only worked for myself. And, uh, you know, I did still graduate from college. I got a bachelor's in HR from Temple University. But, you know, there were a lot of uh, ups and downs, I would say, throughout every facet uh, of my personal life and professional life. You know, from a, a personal perspective, you know, I was the the nice guy that always got taken advantage of. Uh, I got bullied and picked on a lot just because I allowed it. I I had this uh, deep wanting of being accepted. And if it was at my own expense or I was the butt of the joke, then so be it. You know, if that brought a smile to my friends' faces, obviously that doesn't happen now at, at almost 45 years old, but you know, we can look back and we can appreciate those things. And I can, you know, honestly, I'm still friends with all of the, the, the guys that I grew up with. You know, we, we meet and have at least one dinner a month. Uh, we've been friends since almost first grade. So it's very, very rare that you see that, but you know, uh, on the, the personal side of things, you know, that was a lot of stuff that I had to go through, but also, you know, failing out of college, uh, after three semesters, you know, my parents basically saying, you're not going back. We're not going to continue to fund your partying because you're obviously not because I was at the University of Pittsburgh. That's where I started, went out there with one of my best friends, joined a fraternity. And that's basically where it ended. You know, it, it's for me looking back. Yeah, it was a great experience. I, I 
still friends with a lot of my college friends uh, to this day, even though I was only there for three semesters. Uh, but I, I wasn't ready uh, to be on my own. I, I was not ready to to handle that responsibility. You know, when you, again, everyone grows up in a different household. And, and for me, uh, I grew up in a very loving household where, you know, my parents did a lot for me and uh, made sure that I was staying on the right track. And if that meant getting me up in the morning to make sure that I was on time for school, then that's what, you know, my, my mom would do. Uh, and, you know, when you don't, when you have a roommate that you're best friends with from growing up that you just want to kind of ignore the alarm and just hit the snooze button and not have to, when you're not required to go to class. And and I, and again, I, I think that I'm not saying that's a, a flaw in the education system, but if there was more of a requirement that you had to go to class, I mm -hmm. think you would see less people failing out because when they say, you know, it's on you, you're paying the money and whether mm -hmm. you go, you go, you don't, you don't. Uh, I, I could not find that balance between my social life uh, and my education life. Yeah. And it was actually the best thing for me because, you know, my parents pulled me out. I ended up re-enrolling at a local community college and then ended up transferring to Temple. And in that process between my freshman and sophomore year, uh, I shared this with you on that private conversation mm -hmm. that we had that my you know father, who still is an entrepreneur, uh, you know, broke partnership in one of the companies. It was an industrial company that he owned and ended up working for a physical rehabilitation firm, uh, managing multiple locations. And he ended up getting caught up in in a, a $9.5 million insurance fraud case, which uh, ended up landing him in federal prison for two and a half years. Now, but by the time he accepted the charges and, you know, uh, basically accepted the sentencing. There was a six month time frame where he had the opportunity to kind of set us up with something to fall back on. You know, he needed money coming in to support myself, my sister and my, and my mom. So he was always a fitness buff still is to this day. Uh, he had the opportunity to purchase a failing fitness club in downtown Philadelphia. And unbeknownst to me, that club was going to become mine because when he ran it, he was basically preparing it and getting it to a point where he would be able to hand it over to me to say, listen, you got to take the reins. You got to run with this. Now, as a 19 year old sophomore in college, did I expect to have to become a business owner and run a company as well as go to school? No, but you know, it was at the, again, the perfect time. I was still a teenager. So I hadn't experienced the real world yet. I wasn't impacted by a lot of the social norms that are out there now and, and before. Uh, and this was just my role. Like, okay, you know, give me the keys. Let's do this. Uh, I'm going to support my family the best way that I can. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get my education and I'm going to run this gym. And that was probably the the best thing that could have ever happened to me because it, it forced me to be more present. It forced me to grow personally and professionally. It taught me a lot of the leadership skills and a lot of the, the connection skills that I still have today with the company that my wife and I run together uh, amongst so many other lessons. And I'm just grateful for that opportunity, but also the fitness industry in, in, in total. Uh, you learn so much by being a part of it. As I know you can relate, you know, being uh, an ex-CrossFit athlete and, and you know, you yourself being embedded in the fitness industry, 
I, I learned structure. I learned routine. I learned consistency. Uh, I learned all about the compound effect. I learned about goal setting. I learned about helping others achieve their goals uh, and being a very selfless person, not thinking about me. What can I do for others? Being that person of value. And that's, I mean, 100%. When you're in that industry, and some people scoff at it, and even I did too, and I, I, I can't speak to you, but I, again, when I was transitioning from again, owning businesses and, and doing the personal training and the corrective exercise, whatever it is, that I almost thought like, okay, that's like almost child's play to compare to like, you know, selling, like running a manufacturing plant or right selling whatever, tech equipment, SaaS, whatever it is. But I, it's almost like a double, like you learn and you learn so much in two different disciplines. Because you have your health and fitness, like the consistency it takes, the how everything has to work together for you to get a result, right? And it, this isn't, and you're doing all this for, like, you're not necessarily guaranteed to make more money because you're healthier. I mean, it'll help, right? You're not necessarily guaranteed to get a promotion. You're not necessarily guaranteed to have a successful business if you're in better shape. So having to sell that, you had to learn how to be really good at sales, <laughs> right? Because well, sales, selling, I think, is. It, it's it's a it's a very underappreciated skill set that you know yes it could be taught to someone but it has to be learned because mm -hmm. there are so many different layers to it you know yeah you can take a sales course and you know learn different verbiage of what to say and you know all those leading questions but it's more about uh, understanding that there is a an art to it because mm -hmm. It's a combination of, you know, active listening, really hearing, you know, what the other person is saying, but also uh, asking the right questions because you're, you're looking to get to a perceived outcome. So if the outcome is creating a sale, you have to think about the end in mind. And then you have mm -hmm. to think about, all right, what are the questions that I need to ask in order to get the answers that's going to lead someone to that end result, which is saying, you know what, I need what you have to offer. And a lot of that for me came with everything I was doing in the fitness industry, because mm -hmm. as a gym owner, as a personal trainer at sports nutritionist, it was my goal and it was my job to find out what people's problems were. And I, I think I shared this with you and I talked about this the other day on a podcast. If someone was coming in for a tour of, uh, of our gym, one of our gyms that we had, and I ended up being the one that was giving them the tour, they weren't leaving without signing up. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't doing anything fancy. I, I wasn't, you know, strong arming people, but I would introduce myself, ask their name, look them right in the eye, you know, create that personal connection. But the first question that I would always ask every single person, it was just rinse, wash, and repeat. What are you specifically looking for in a gym? Mm -hmm. And when I would ask that question, it was the easiest prompt because they would tell me what they were looking for. You know, uh, you know, what kind of cardio equipment you have or your, your exercise classes or your free weight area, or your circuit training, depending upon what that response was, that's where the tour started. Mm -hmm. I'm not, if someone says, you know, I want to see what kind of cardio stuff you have. I'm not going to take them down into the, the studios to show mm -hmm. them what classes we have. I'm going to end with a lot of that stuff. I'm going to start the tour with what their big concern is, where I answer their question, which means I'm solving their problem. And then everything on top of that is just like the icing on the cake. Oh, in addition to 
-hmm. you know, obviously answering your question about the cardio, here's the free weights, here's the circuit training, you get free classes, here's the class schedule, you get a free, you know, 30 minute personal training session when you sign up. So all of those things translated into everything else that I was doing, whether it was me selling online fitness programs or online mm -hmm. uh, personal training to all the stuff that my wife and I are doing now with our mastermind and our foundational courses and everything else with the LinkedIn consulting that I do. It always starts with, you know, what are the biggest problems that you have right now? What are you looking for solutions for? So when you ask the right questions, you're going to get the right answers. Uh, a thousand percent. And I, I, to this day, I still think, and it, it gets more and more ingrained, even with this, this conversation, it gets more and more cemented that I think the fitness sales or health sales is one of the best foundations in sales you can have. Cause you have to be so pointed cause you're, you're, you're talking to people you're trying to sell. And I don't know what kind of programs you've sold, but you know, I would sell four figure programs that people came in who wanted to lose 10 pounds. Well, losing 10 pounds to most people isn't worth, you know, three grand. Right. So you had to be so pointed in your questions to get them to almost play a movie in their head of a life they could have if they had XYZ body or XYZ lifestyle, or this could translate into whatever else success that they could have. So you have to, the, to your point, the questions you have to ask in the order in which you have to ask them are so important and you have to be so pointed with them. Cause again, it's not like, okay, you're coming into my consulting agency. Yeah. My business sucks. If I don't, if I don't turn things around this quarter, I'm going to lose everything. It's like, okay, well, it doesn't get much more motivating than that. Right. So you have a lot more to work with where in, in health it is, you're almost selling them. I mean, realistically, you're selling them more work, which is only increasing the likelihood slightly that they're going to achieve the end result. So you're basically selling them work to maybe get what they want. <laughs> right. So you have to be, again, you have to be, I think it's one of the best foundations in sales you could have. But anyways, yeah. I could, we could we could talk about that. We could have a separate fitness uh, episode, I think, on that. But I wanted to get into, is that your book behind you, first of all, the LinkedIn? Yeah, the, that's the, the LinkedIn book for sales and marketing. That one, um, uh, that was the one that I released about two years ago. Gotcha. So, you, so there's, a, when... there's a new edition coming out. Um, oh. There's a, there's a new edition coming out. Actually, I'm working on it right now. Uh, August of 2024. Um, it's still going to be around sales and marketing, um, but I'm going to be adding um, some more lead gen tactics, uh, branding tactics, mm. but also uh, there's two additional chapters uh, that I'm adding in new features that have been added uh, in the last two years, you know, up until most recently. Uh, and also uh, what not to do on LinkedIn, which I'm just surprised that I never had that in the book to begin with, but the ways that you get blocked and how you can't get blocked or restricted things to stay away from. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be great. And, and it's been a goal of mine, um, you know, ever since I released the first one, which is over all the way over there, that one was more directed towards the network marketing industry. I released that one in, uh, in 2018, um, so it was, you know, four years in between the first and second book. So a lot had changed, you know, also my focus had changed and the core demographic of the people that I was helping changed. Um, so obviously that allowed me to kind of shift and edit and change the book and make some updates. Uh, and the goal is to release a new edition every two years, because as with social media, it changes. Um, so I want to remain relevant, but also continue to provide uh, a lot of value for people with, you know, whether they can afford my book, my coaching, whatever it is, give someone some place to start. 
Yeah. And that was actually, that was going to be my question. And you just answered it is when you're, especially when you're writing a book on something that changes so rapidly, like how often do you have to go in and update it? But it sounds like, like every two years, that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. You know, I think yearly would be too much. Uh, yeah. I, I still think that they're, depending upon what the book is on and what it's about, there are some books that are completely timeless. Um, you know, one of our, our mastermind members, cause we teach people how to self-publish their books in our mastermind. He just self-published his book. Um, he's been a lawyer for 40 plus years. He's managed firms. He does coaching now for lawyers. He has a podcast called the free lawyer, and he just released his first book called breaking free. Uh, and it's more of a personal development book for lawyers to find peace and harmony and balance between work and life. Um, and there's 12 core principles that he talks about in the book. And it's it's a timeless book, meaning all of those things that he talks about in that book are going to be relevant now and mm -hmm. 50 years from now, much like Think and Grow Rich or The Science of Getting Rich. Yeah. The books are timeless. So the only difference between you know mine and those Mine is more of a strategy and tactical type book mm -hmm. that's linked to a social media platform. And, you know, as we know, social media changes every month, uh, it seems. So it made sense for me to say, you know what, I need to continue to stay relevant. It would be pretty misleading on my part if I was to continue to utilize the same book and the same strategy that was released four, five, six years ago, um, because there are people still out there that are you know, quote unquote, LinkedIn trainers that are still teaching the same old methodologies that may have worked five, six, seven years ago that, and they're claiming they still work to today and they don't. And I'm not yeah. the only one saying it doesn't. LinkedIn has said these strategies don't work anymore. And I just feel bad for the people that are falling for these marketing tactics and strategies of things that they think are working, but they don't. And that's where I want to come in and say, you know what? There are still ways to leverage LinkedIn. There are still ways to benefit from using it, but you have to do it in specific ways and you have to stay current and you have to be relevant. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. And that's the, it's the importance of continuing to learn, like never, never thinking that you know enough, right? And with that, it's it, like you said, things are growing so, are improving and changing so fast. I mean, AI over the span of a month changes so fast, a week changes. So let's, um, that, that's a good segue. So you went from owning the gym starting the starting your, your current businesses and stuff. So where was the shift to, because for what I've seen, like you're a lot of like branding, marketing, obviously specializing in LinkedIn focus. Where, where did that shift happen? Well, I was looking to, in 2013, so about 11 years ago, I was looking to expand my clientele base. Mm -hmm. I had basically maxed out my book of business. And as you know, as a personal trainer, you're only as good as the amount of hours that you work. So I had every slot pretty much filled Monday through Saturday, which meant I had no life. Yes, there was good money coming in, but it came at a price. And that was my personal sanity, uh, my my relationships with friends and family, uh, not being as present as I wanted to be. I was burnt out and tired. And I was at a personal development event. And a lot of it was focused on online business growth. And, you know, I, I kept hearing all these people say that, you know, you know, getting online, expanding your reach, expanding your knowledge, expanding your expertise. And for me, I wanted to expand past the personal relationships that I had on Facebook and Instagram. You know, I still use those platforms to this day. I love those platforms, but I was looking to leverage more of a business professional platform because I knew who my core demographic was. 
you know, business professionals were the people that I worked with from a personal training standpoint. People came to me uh, before they were going to work. They would work out with me between five and seven in the morning. And then I had my little uh, lunchtime crowd between 11 and two where they came to me on their lunch break. And then I had my afterwork crowd from five to eight. Mm -hmm. So I already knew that my core demographic were business professionals that were looking to get healthy. And I said to myself, where can I get online? to really connect with other business professionals, not just locally, nationally. And that was LinkedIn. So I went on there, I changed my profile around and I started searching, connecting, messaging, having connect calls, providing you know educational information on, on fitness and, and health tips. And my business started to grow. I had people wanting to work with me and I was able to then start charging more of a premium price because, well, number one, I was providing a premium service you know, I was working with people in the online capacity, whether it was writing up workout routines for them, you know, for 12 or 16 weeks uh, or nutrition workout, uh, nutrition plans, you know, that were specific, specific to them and their goals. Uh, it allowed me to then start replacing some of my income. And this was kind of like the big shift for me, because if, if a client fell off that I was seeing face to face, I would have to quickly figure a way of how can I replace, you know, that amount of money or that amount of sessions. But when I had all these people now working with me online, I slowly had clients just dropping off and not renewing packages. And I wasn't having to ask them to renew. It started to free up more of my time. So instead of having to be at the gym at 5 a.m., I was now going in at around 8 a.m. So I was getting a couple more hours of sleep. Instead of having to train people till 9, I was only having to train people till 6. So I started to get some of my life back. And then obviously, as things transpired, I started to help other people in the online fitness space leverage LinkedIn for their wellness business. Mm -hmm. And I started doing it for free with just some friends that were also trainers. And one in particular, you know, took my advice and started applying the strategy that I was doing. And he got back to me about two weeks after he started applying the strategy and he texted me and he said, dude, call me. So I called him and I said, what's up? And he goes, listen, whatever you figured out with LinkedIn he goes, it works. He goes, I have 14 appointments booked this week. He goes, he said, you need to be teaching this. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, it's just like personal training people. Um, you know, you, you just have to start teaching people from the business perspective. Start working. You're doing business coaching. You're not doing personal coaching. You're doing business coaching. You're not helping people with their health and wellness goals. You're helping with their money and business goals. He goes, it's the same thing. I'm like, you know what? You're right. If I can train people to build their body, I can train people to build their bank accounts. And that's how I kind of made the transition to going more from the, I would say, deliverable of the the personal wellness and health goals mm -hmm. to the the business, you know, uh, growth and and uh, monetary strategic goals that I'm still doing today. Yeah, I, and that's so that's an example of this is what they they say anyways is you had a level ten skill but you were you had a level three opportunity, so you're you're using your time like you're trading straight up your time for money. Which isn't oh, yeah. where you want to be because there's only only no. so much of it, and then you start trading your own health for money, which you definitely don't want to be. Yep. Right. So you identified that you had this other skill that you could. It was less time, but you could charge more money for it because the value was the perceived value was a little bit higher because it was tied to money. So your level ten skill set was now a level whatever. I'll let you decide what that level was opportunity. So that's fantastic, man. Good for you. So what you. what was that, what was that transition like? Though, because what, what, let me ask you this: Was your identity pretty tied to like your social identity? When I say social, I mean like on, on LinkedIn and on your platforms. Was it pretty tied to fitness still? Oh yeah, I, I mean, yeah. you know, I I think we sometimes adopt 
what people recognize us as. So mm. for the longest time, I was Scott Aaron, you know, the personal trainer, right? Mm. Or the gym owner. And then I was Scott Aaron, the, you know, online wellness coach. And then I was Scott Aaron, you know, the LinkedIn guru. And people still, you know, call me a LinkedIn guru. I never, I never said that I was that. Mm. I, I, as I've gotten older, uh, I, I don't like putting labels on myself. If other okay. people want to label me to, in order to recognize me or to remember me, that's fine. If they want to, you know, remember me as the LinkedIn guy, perfect. Like again, mm-hmm. if if they're if that's going to enable them to create a brain tattoo, that when they think of the LinkedIn yeah. guy, they're going to think of Scott Aaron. That's completely fine. Mm-hmm. But I just look to be a, a person of value, and however that lands on people, whether mm-hmm. they focus on, you know, the you know, online branding side of things, the, the lead gen guy, the LinkedIn yeah. guy, whatever they, whatever they want to, you know, you know, categorize me as it's completely fine. But I, I did have to, at some point start detaching from that because I think sometimes we meld into our, our identities that mm-hmm. people identify us as, and you become that. And I just wanted to be me. And if people needed, like I said, to categorize me as something to remember me, that's fine. But I'm I'm not going to tell people, hey, I'm the LinkedIn guru. I'm the LinkedIn master. People have coined me that just because I've gotten so many people results. And, you know, I, I it's not that I, I've strayed away from LinkedIn. That's still my main platform that I educate and inform people on. But, you know, my wife now are just more passionate about helping small business owners have a small and mighty business. You know, we've grown and scaled our company tremendously over the last four plus years We've done it with a very small team, uh, only working three days a week. And we've basically tracked the model of how we've grown the business the way that we have. And now we're teaching other people how to do the same thing. So if you're not evolving as a person and as a professional, you're stuck. And that's the thing. Uh, Going back to something that you said, you always want to be learning new things. And uh, a quote that I always go back to is, if you think you know everything, you actually know nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really pride myself, and I know my wife does as well, on constantly educating ourselves, constantly listening to other podcasts and reading other people's books and getting other point of views to see what else is out there. So many people put themselves on these professional pedestals where they're like, I know everything about this. I'm only going to teach this. They never adapt and change. And I'm going to go back to, again, something that you said about AI. If you're not falling in love with AI and what it can do and how it could help your business, you're going to get left behind. And people are just going to steamroll right over you because there's a lot of people that think it's evil and it's stealing jobs. All it is, it's a tool, just like anything else. You know, think about content schedulers, right? Think about social media platforms. Think about ways to run ads. All those things are tools to help people grow their business. And AI is just another prime example of that. So Mm -hmm. again, it's instead of self-defining yourself, let people define you as the way that they see you. Because if people start saying, oh, you know, that's the content creation guy. Oh, that's the LinkedIn guy. Mm-hmm. Then you're doing a good job of marketing and branding yourself because you're not calling yourself that. People are just so used to seeing mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z content and the way that you're putting yourself out there, you're getting labeled, you're getting categorized without having to tell people that this is what they need to categorize you as. There's so much to take out of everything you just said. And there's one with the AI thing. I can't remember where I heard it, 
but I loved this quote with uh, speaking to the people who were like, AI is evil. It's going to take over jobs and that kind of stuff. And they said the, the hammer didn't worry about it when the nail gun came out. Like there's always, there's always just a tool. If there's going to be certain use cases where it's great, you're always going to need a hammer for something, right? Like it's just, it was, that's, yeah. that was a really interesting kind of way to look at it. A little simple, but it was, it was sometimes simple is good to explain complicated subjects, right? Yep. So when you, when you were, and I love that the whole self-appointed labels are usually not true or they're overstated, right? Like if you, if I, if you gave your, like you said, if you just went out there and said, I'm the LinkedIn guru, people would be like, no, you're not. And they would look for reasons why you're not, as opposed to that was their anchor for who they identified you as, because they probably saw you, they're probably looking for help on LinkedIn. And then you helped them, whether it was through a podcast or they saw you in a keynote or you read your book and like, oh, that really helped. Now he's the LinkedIn guy. So that, that that's kind of like their anchor, right? Right. It's like, like a virtual anchor LinkedIn. They think of Scott. Right. Um, so when you, when you were having, making that transition and one thing you said, you always had to be constantly reinventing yourself. And one thing that drives me nuts, and in some cases it's great. This might, just might have to preface this a bit more, but I'm just going to go for it is when people say you should just love yourself for who you are. That's fine. If you are who you want to be and you have everything you want, but if you want something more and you want to be something who would be somebody who is able to accomplish more, then you probably shouldn't be happy with who you are. Cause you should be somebody better, right? Or you should always be working to improve yourself. So that was kind of a hot take from there. I didn't want to interrupt you though. Um, when you were, when you were going to going from, Scott Aaron, the fitness guy to Scott Aaron, just Scott Aaron. What was there anything that you, you, you really had to do or focus on or, or implement to kind of separate yourself? Not really. I mean, I just, I, I changed my content strategy, you know, um, for the, the, the better part of, I would say three or four years, I really served the network marketing industry because I, I did a little bit of network marketing when I was transitioning online and I learned so much about marketing and branding and promoting yourself and obviously connecting with people and building online brands and online connection growth. Um, and I, I did well, um, you know, from a, you know, a financial perspective, but it, it there was a tipping point for it. It mm -hmm. got to the point where I, I squeezed as much juice as I could out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it wasn't serving me the way that it once was. And I, I really felt like I was being held back because, you know, just for people that have or maybe still do network marketing, when you're tied to another company, you know, you're you're still building as an independent contractor. But when your yeah. money is tied to someone else where they're responsible for paying you based on volume of sales and products and this, that or the other, you're basically a 1099 contracted yeah. employee because they can change the compensation plan. They can cut your income off. The company could close. So what I started to think about is how can I start pivoting away from that without making that announcement? You see people do this all the time. Um, you know, you'll see people post like, you know, I just want to share something with you. I'm I'm leaving the network marketing industry or I'm leaving the fitness industry. And this like they, they make these big announcements on social mm -hmm. media, like everybody mm -hmm. cares. No, no one, mm -hmm. the only person that cares is you. No, the, the person that cares the most about your life is yourself, not the other people. So I didn't like make that announcement that I was like leaving the network marketing industry and I was going to be focusing on this. I just stopped talking about it. Mm -hmm. I stopped doing videos that was more towards network marketing. I started doing videos and I started doing content that was directed towards online business owners, because that and a lot can fall into that category. So 
it was a natural transition for me to stop doing the the health and wellness type stuff. Like I stopped giving health and wellness tips. I started giving business tips because I wanted to go a little bit broader so then I could start narrowing down into a different niche. And that that's what really helped me because I started realizing as I started promoting and educating in a different way, I was still serving as a person of value, but I was doing it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And then I had a whole new demographic of people starting to follow me, to connect with me, to reach out with me. And it felt really good. And it's so funny, Zach, still to this day, I'll still have people reach out to me to try to prospect me for network marketing. Um, and, you know, I, I love and honor and appreciate the hustle that these people have. Again, I've I've always been a business owner. I've always been my own boss. Mm -hmm. And when I feel like I'm not actually in full control, because you're not, you're not mm -hmm. in full control when you're in network marketing, because, you know, they control what they want to control. Mm -hmm. They teach you what they want to teach you. They structure the pay plan the way that they want to structure it. And they pay you the way that they want to pay you. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want a percentage of a sale. I wanted a hundred percent of the sale. And when you when you're selling your own products, your own services, your own courses, your own memberships, your own programs, that's how you can grow and scale your own business. Mm -hmm. So I just started talking about all the new things that I was doing and all the different opportunities. And again, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself. I didn't want to categorize myself, you know, in that network marketing category anymore. I wanted to go a step above that and just do online business where there are so many different online businesses, it really helped me make those necessary shifts. Okay, so the that was great, first of all. So there wasn't like a big, like you said, uh, and I see this a lot too. Hey, everybody, so I've made a decision to leave here so I can go do other, like no one cares. No one cares. No one. No one. Cares. So would you? Would you? So th this is this is a struggle for some. So we we have our own our clients as well. I mean, I've been here as, as well. If we're being honest, where again, you, you whether you're you know you're an athlete, you're in a completely different industry, completely different role, whatever it is, and then you kind of want to shift and do things either that you're more passionate about or or to a different. You're just doing a different different stuff. You don't necessarily need to erase all that. You just need to let your actions and content themselves do the talking. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, you know, okay. again, there are pivots that always need to be made in business. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily have to announce those pivots. Like, I love the people when they they rebrand themselves or they, mm -hmm. you know, they rename their podcast or they rebrand their business name. You know, they're like, big announcement coming up, big announcement in seven days. Like, if you, I, I've changed the name of my podcast four times and mm -hmm. I never made one announcement about it. I just changed it and started just recording episodes because mm. everything else gets buried anyway. So I, I'm just a big believer that, you know, if you have an announcement, if it's about something that's related to the current business, that's fine. Like maybe you have a new program yeah. coming out or you have a workshop coming out that's mm. tied to it. But if someone's like, oh, you know, shh, I'm rebranding. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. Big announcement in seven days. Like, again, people, people may disagree with me, but I know the majority of people don't really – they don't really care if I'm rebranding or I'm renaming my podcast. They just want to continue to listen to my podcast, whatever the name of it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's it's detaching from, again, that people-pleasing, yeah. right? And, and I think that's for me going – like I'm not going to make everybody happy. I, I can't appease everyone. You know, the, 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 the person that I have to focus on keeping and making the most happy is me. So mm -hmm. if things feel good to me as, my, as I do them, if people – have questions about 
You know, why did you pivot? You know, why are you posting this way? Good. I, I want people to ask those questions because now I'm creating curiosity. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to kill the curiosity. You want to raise the curiosity. So when you silently make those pivots and you just continue to kind of roll forward, again, it's not raising any alarms. People appreciate business evolution as they see it in real time. And that's what I love doing. I, I don't like standing still. It drives me crazy to, to stand in quicksand because I know what's going to happen. It's just going to pull me down. So I'm always, and my wife's the same way. We're always reaching and, and striving for more and more and more, not for the monetary purpose, but for the personal growth purpose, because we know the more that we do, the more that we learn, the more that we apply, the more knowledge that we have, the more value we can provide the marketplace and the more people we can impact. And that's, there's no better feeling than that. First of all, I don't think I've ever related to somebody so much in a conversation. Um, <laughs> this is fantastic because it, it, it almost, it almost drives me nuts when I see, because one of our clients a while ago we consulted with was a, was a networking network marketing company. And they would always say, and now like I have, I, I'm my, I'm slightly changing my office. I'm going to announce this to everybody, everything down to that. It was just, it just seems so inauthentic, disingenuous, uh, attention grabbing for no real reason other than, Hey, look, something's changing. Not even that like, Hey, I'm doing something that's going to add more value to you. It's just, Hey, I'm doing something different now. It's not, but what, what's in it for them? <laughs> like what, what kind of yeah. more value are you going to give to them? If that's how you came about it, then that's a different story, right? I'm doing this because I want to be able to serve you better by X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you this question. When is the right time for a business to brand it, to like really focus on its brand? Well, I don't think there is a, a, a right and wrong time. But what I do believe is the more clear you are mm -hmm. on the goals that you have, all the other things will fall into place. So an exercise that we take our mastermind members through uh, is a clarity exercise. And it starts with your business avatar, you know, your core offer, uh, your ladder of value. And, you know, those are some, some things that Nancy and I, we come back to each and every year. We go back through our avatar. You know, we go back through our business positioning statement. We go back through uh, our ladder of value. And as far as the, the branding side of things, that's going to be a constant evolution, mm -hmm. meaning you're as you as you grow and prosper, um, the the marketing and branding side of things are also going to grow and prosper. And that could be as simple as changing colors or changing your logo or uh, changing the nuances of a of a mission statement. But I believe that in the very beginning, when you get clear, on the goals that you have, the, the purpose behind your business. When you're clear on the people that you want to serve from a, a client perspective, the branding falls into place because when you know the, the type of individual that you're looking to market with and market to on social media, the branding side of things just overlaps right into that. Because I think so many people uh, get caught up in the failure to launch aspect yeah. where they're focusing so much on their their branding and their marketing statements and their colors and their themes, and they're not even putting themselves out there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to cast a reel to see what you pull back in. 
And that's some of the best things that you can do is not blindly doing it, not just throwing spaghetti at the wall, but just going for it, you know, just Mm -hmm. dive in because, you know, just like we were talking about very early on, you know, sales, Mm -hmm. it is, it's an art. It's going to take time. I, I will also put branding and marketing in that same category. You know, when you're getting into the marketing side of things for a business, you're going to suck in the beginning. Like it's mm. bad. Like you don't know what the messaging should be. You know, I, I see a lot of bad marketing and branding tactics out there today. And I think, you know, my, my wife and I did a podcast episode, of this and a big trigger for us is those drunk verbal vomit, drunk log posts you see on social media where it's like, it just goes on and on and on and on and on these vulnerable shares and you see these pick people with these pictures and they're like, I have something I need to get off my chest today, or I have something new important to share or something really important happened this past weekend. And it's like just this verbal vomit drunk And, and again, some people like doing that. I, I just like cutting straight to the point. You don't really, it's, it's important to be a storyteller, but you can do it in a much more strategic and streamlined way. Mm-hmm. So as far as the importance of understanding your marketing and branding in the beginning, Yes, it's important, but I would say beyond that, before you even start thinking about marketing and branding, get clear on what you're looking to achieve. You know, what are your monetary goals? Who are you looking to impact and serve? And when you can start to answer those questions, then as I mentioned, the branding and the marketing fold right into it. Yeah, it seems like, and there's a lot of, whether you're a startup or you have an idea and they focus, they, they're like, Hey, I have this great logo. I'm starting a business. And that's all their focus is on. They just spent 800 bucks on Fiverr to get this logo. That's probably going to have to change in three, four months anyways. Like it's not, the focus is not, it, it shouldn't be that. Cause again, they're, they're looking at the highlight reels, looking at these companies with great logos and all this kind of stuff, but they don't know that's their 10th logo. <laughs> that's their, like maybe even more than that. Right. Like it, you don't get it right first you just have to be really really clear so i love what you said and i agree just be really really clear on what you want to achieve first all right and then to cast those reels out there to find out what that is and what what you who you can speak to the most it's a process you're, you're not yeah. supposed to have everything figured out right away it's it's an evolution you know mm-hmm. again every business goes through it and you know to think that you have to have everything figured out right away you know, again, that that's striving to be perfect. And, and every single business owner is perfectly imperfect. There's yeah. always going to be a kink in the hose. There's always going to be a bottleneck. There's always going to be something to improve. You're never, ever figuring it out 100%. Yeah. What was, what are those things called? Um, they came out like a bat out of hell. They had, there's like the two wheels. You had the, and you stood on it and you had the handles and they're supposed to like take over um, modern uh transportation segways 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 remember when, yeah. when those came out there was an interesting case study yeah, the, the owner on ended up dying the, the person who created it ended up dying he like yeah yeah he passed off a cliff or something yeah no he because he what well, him and his team or whatever they had this great idea they thought it was a great idea but they never market tested anything just they thought it was great and they and they self just like we said they gave themselves this label as being the product that's going to innovate and change the transportation industry they yep. never did any market testing and then they sent it out there and they had like a millions of dollars of loss right away. And it was just really the best thing that Segways did was they had, there's some great bloopers on YouTube, but I mean, yep. other than that, I don't really know. So that thing that's a, and it's unfortunate that he, that, that they, they passed, they passed but that's yeah. with regardless of that, that's a good example of 
just because you think it's a great idea and you think that it's great and everything's going to be awesome and it's going to innovate whatever industry it is, doesn't mean your market says the same thing. Right. And it's not to say you always have to listen to the market. There's something about, you know, finding pockets that people are unaware of now and then finding the need and then putting it in there, but you don't just throw it out there. No, right? you, you got you 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 to split test. You got to see what the market is responding to, or more importantly, not responding to that's, exactly. that's why we do a B split testing. Like you mm -hmm. got to see what works, what doesn't work, go back and tweak yeah, that. That's, that's what I love about business because it is part art, you know, part skill mm -hmm. and you have to learn the, the, the tweaking of messages or, you know, strategies. And, you know, Nancy and I are very big on KPIs, key performance indicators. We keep track of everything and we can see, you know, through factual numbers and representations of what did work and what didn't work. And, you know, then we look at, all right, why did this work? Why did this didn't work? And then you got to go and you dig deeper and you start to really bring to light and start to do more of the things that do work and less of the things that don't work. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole episode in itself is tracking key performance yep. indicators. Like that's just, they, they have their, a lot of people have their few, it's almost like when you're in the gym and they love training biceps because they love how it feels and the way they look in the mirror when they do it. But and so that's all they track when really there's all these other stuff going on that is falling Everything. apart and they don't, they're still not paying attention to it. It's just their favorite one. Like, I'm just going to track sales. I don't care about anything else. Like our closing percentage looks good. Why is our bottom line gone? Oh, cause we didn't look at our finance chops. Okay. Like it's, there's so much, you need, everything so needs much to be more. tracked so much more. Um, but so one thing, one, one question before we kind of wrap up. So you have a very successful business with your wife. Yep. What is it like? And what was the, what was the conversation or was there even a conversation when it was like, let's go into business together? So it wasn't really uh, a, a conversation. So she's, she's always been an entrepreneur herself. Mm -hmm. um, her and her best friend, Dawn actually, bought and sold Beanie Babies when they were 10 and 11 years old. Um, very entrepreneurial, both of them. Oh, when they and were 10 and 11 years old, they were selling Beanie Babies. They were selling Beanie Babies. Oh, this that's back, cool. Okay. Yeah, this is back in like the early to mid 90s. And they were making a lot of money as, as like mm -hmm. little kids. So, you know, Nancy, you know, was the first one in her family to put herself through college and she ended up working at, at two Fortune 50 companies, and she was making you know close to multiple six figures uh, before she was even 30. But the work-life balance wasn't there, and she left one Fortune 50 company and got recruited into another. And with the promises that you know you're going to make more and have to work less, and she made more, but she worked even more. And you know she the, the long and the short was she was on Reddit. And she was reading a thread by this gentleman who had left his accounting firm to start a remote house cleaning business run from his phone. And Nancy's like, well, I could do that. So she basically put in her two weeks notice and she started a remote house cleaning company from her phone, hired a team of independent contractors and grew it to $150,000 of revenue within a year and a half. And we met uh, probably about a year to a year and a half into the launch of her company. And I think something that we really, you know, resonated with when we've been together for, you know, going on seven years now, um, what really resonated with both of us was both being entrepreneurs, both having that growth mindset. And she saw what I was doing, you know, she followed along and all this stuff and, she saw, and you know, marketing was one of her 
um, one of her passions. She studied it in college and she knew that that wasn't sales was my strong suit. Marketing was not my strong suit. And she's like, you know, you could be doing a better job. So she actually started working as an independent contractor for uh, a company, getting more online skills and knowledge for branding and the back end type of stuff, website optimization, lead magnets, funnels, um, you know, sales acquisition, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And she started helping me. And, you know, she was, you know, we, we obviously hired a few team members, but she was kind of like orchestrating everything that I was doing for my personal brand with my LinkedIn course, my LinkedIn membership and my LinkedIn coaching and consulting. Um, then we ended up joining a mastermind together in 2020, um, right after the pandemic hit. Uh, and we, we joined with the notion of her launching her own program and me launching my own program. And we had the recommendation and thank God we got the recommendation from the person who ran it said, why don't you just take both of your superpowers and combine it into one. And that's where we came up with our mastermind and our foundations course. Um, you know, she was already successfully running a content repurposing agency called BYOB agency. Uh, and then we ended up having our own social media posting platform called BYOB Social, much like Cootsuite and Buffer. Mm. And it was just a natural progression. And, you know, we knew the rare air that we were in as far as a husband and wife that is married in real life, but also married in business <laughs> to run a successful business together. So it ended up being just this natural progression where I kind of hit the peak of where I could go by myself and her mm -hmm. as well. And for us to get to the next level, we had to partner to focus on each other's strengths, but more importantly, our weaknesses. So we could both start growing together at mm -hmm. the same time. And that's exactly what has happened. Good for you guys. How is that? How is that balancing the two different types? And maybe it's not for you. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm overstepping, but the two different, I guess, types of relationships you have to juggle. Well, you know, uh, I don't, I don't so much say it's a struggle, but you know, finding that balance between your personal love and your business love, it, it, it is kind of hard to turn it off sometimes. Mm -hmm. So whenever we do go on our date nights, we purposefully bring conversation cards um, that are non-related to, to business, their, their personal stuff. So we can start continue to connect on a deeper level where we can turn off the business side of things and more mm -hmm. focus on each other as individuals and a couple um, that really helps us. And, you know, just again, making it a, a kind of a line in the sand. We, we both know that once five o'clock hits, business is done. We shut mm -hmm. it off. Uh, we do talk about, you know, wins from the day and, you know, what made the day so great. Uh, but we have a lot of similar passions. We we both love video games. We we both love sports. Um, so we we watch Sixers games together and Eagles games together. And uh, we both love music. Uh, we we've both gotten into vinyl vinyl music. So we there's a local record store, and we you know we both buy an, an album, and we you know see which one was better, which what we bought. So we we try to find deeper things to kind of plug into outside of work because 
when you start to let your work define who you are as a person and as a professional, that's where you can start to lose the connection between yourself and your partner. And we've done a really good job of creating boundaries between, you know, work and life. Um, and sometimes we allow ourselves, like, we'll have that conversation like, hey, we're off today, but do you want to dig into some business stuff? Do you want to record some podcasts together? And Because we love doing that stuff. We're like, yeah. sure. But we have that conversation ahead of time so there's not any imbalance between you know, what one person wants to do and what the other person wants to do. And if, you know, she may say to me, listen, I'm going to go to my office. I got some things to, to bang out. You know, you can just, you know, do whatever you want and just come up and get me in a couple hours and then we'll go do something. I'm fine. With, as long as it's communicated, mm -hmm. I'm completely fine with it. Communication. That's, that's what keeps coming up. I hear. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I love it. I love it, Scott. Well, good for you guys. I'm, I'm really, really happy for your guys' success. Um, especially, being somebody coming from, you know, the type of background in the fitness industry. I know I love seeing somebody that can break into the business. Like, the, I don't know if you've probably followed, but I like the Alex Ramoses and that kind of stuff, right? Like they do a we're very we're good reading, job. reading his book right now, actually. Which which one? The leads? $100 million $100 leads? Or... Yeah, $100 million leads. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so in our mastermind, we have a book club. So every, mm -hmm. you know, we, we pick six books a year to read together. So mm -hmm. we're, we're starting with the four-hour work week in January, but our March book is going to be $100 million leads. It's good. It's good. There's lots yeah. of good pictures in it too. Oh yeah. 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 That's good. Beautiful. My friend. Well, um, uh, there's a question that I ask everybody who comes on, um, but Scott, what is the next summit that you are chasing my friend? You know, I don't like the, the peak of one Valley um, or the, 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 the peak of one Valley is the Valley of the next. So mm -hmm. you're always reaching, always mm -hmm. climbing, um, you know, getting to one summit for me, um, it's not so much about the chase. It's about the fact that there are so many endless possibilities. Mm -hmm. And I, I know for 100% certainty that people really don't believe how successful they can become if they really believe in themselves and what they're doing. And I know that if I can accomplish XYZ goal and reach this summit, then I now have built the skill set and the necessary qualities that it will take to do it again mm -hmm. and again and again. And you know, there'll be failures along the way because those are the lessons that you need to learn. Think about all the people that do not um, get to the summit of Mount Everest. Mm -hmm. You know, they they may get to a certain point, they got to turn around and go back, but they've learned a lot of lessons along the way that caused them to have to stop at that point and turn back because you better believe they're going to learn from that lesson and they're not going to do that same thing again, which will enable them to get to the next summit. And that's just like business, you know, track what works, track what doesn't work, and you'll get to every single summit that you're looking to achieve and, and accomplish. That's a sound bite. Appreciate that, brother. All right. Take a minute. I know you have a workshop coming up, so take a minute, uh, plug anything you want. Where can people find you? What do you have coming up? Yeah, you can find me anywhere online. Uh, obviously, LinkedIn, uh, you know, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff. Just search Scott Aaron. Uh, we do have a, a workshop coming up. It's a free workshop from January 22nd to the 26th. It's called the Amateur to Expert on LinkedIn five-day workshop. So we take people through our strategy of not knowing what to do on LinkedIn by the end of the five days, knowing exactly what you need to do from optimizing your profile uh, connecting with the right people, generating leads, closing sales, and providing value-added content. So um, I'll leave you guys the link that you can share with your audience of how you can register. Mm -hmm. It's completely free. It's from 1 to 2 p.m. EST, live and recorded. 
uh, you know, like I said, from the 22nd to the 26th of January, and we'd love to see everybody there. Beautiful. And I will obviously have all that stuff linked in the description below. Again, Scott, thanks so much for coming on, man. This is a great conversation. Zach, appreciate you very much. Looking forward to having you on my podcast. And again, appreciate the opportunity. Let's go, brother. Thank you for watching this episode of the Summit Chasers podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed, you were inspired, you learned something that you can use to go and chase whatever your next summit may be. Be sure to like and comment your takeaways from the episode below. Also, follow us on all social media platforms under Summit Chasers Network. And if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to turn on your notifications so you can be notified when we drop new content like how-to videos, business best practices, motivation, and personal development strategies. And until next time, keep chasing your summit. I'll see you on the next one.